Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. Yeah, and if you have any questions, as usual, we would love for you to take a moment and just send them in. Uh, sometimes if you're like me and I read something, a question pops in my head, but I just stop. Uh, I don't stop and I just keep going on with my thought process. I would encourage you to stop, send it in to info at grove.church, or you can jump on Facebook if you follow us, or even give us a like while you're there, but just send it to our direct message there on Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. We are in Marysville and Snohomish, but we'd love for you to send us those questions. And as far as resources that we're using today, uh, as always, it's the ESV study Bible, uh, the Logos Bible software, the essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates. And then I forgot to write it down, so I don't have the authors, Gosh. but the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary. We're totally taking credit. Yep. There's a... giving it to the right authors. There's a... Uh, I know Moises Silva. Moises. That's, Moises. One, that's, that's one of the names in there. But anyway, uh, but yeah, we got... A question on Samaritans. So Sweet. I, I use that That'd to be fun. look it up. So we'll get, but we don't want to spoil it yet. Yeah. So we'll At get the there. And we'll have a couple questions we'll answer today. So, all righty. So to jump in, uh, today we're talking about the book of Hosea, which is the first of the minor prophets. So um, if you break down the prophetic books, you know, it starts with Isaiah, uh, and there's Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. They're kind of like the major prophets. And then there's, I think it's 12 minor prophets. Yep. Yep. So there you go. Yeah. I have this old school song going through my head that helped me remember all the books of the Bible in order. Mine was uh, mine was a rap. When I was in Royal Rangers, I got a badge. And so I just Dude, have well it. Done. I just have I'm pretty it. sure I had that badge. When I was a it's straight a merit arrow. is what it's called. It's a what? A merit. A merit. I was, I was pretty sure I had that I one. I was too. merited my Old Testament yep. <laughs> memorization. That's um, awesome. Anyway, uh, Jose is actually, I, it's one of the more, um, is a weird way to describe it, I suppose. But to me, it's one of the more underrated books of the Bible. Oh, for sure. Because I think it's, it's a, got a really... Interesting marriage. It's a message, not marriage. Although it has a really interesting well, the, marriage yeah, the too. Whole part, the whole purpose of the book is it walks through this book, this marriage between Hosea and Gomer, um, and the whole reality of it. So yeah, marriage fits. So we'll talk about. We'll introduce the book here a little bit, and then we'll just kind of get right into it. Um, Hosea is one of the prophets whose ministry took place in the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, I know Amos is another one. I can't remember the third one, but they're. Right. It's one of those guys. It's one uh, of the prophets. Yeah. So there's uh, three of them whose main ministry takes place in the Northern Kingdom. If, if you, Which is interesting because if there's only three, there's, I mean, there's 12 minor prophets and then there's another five major prophets, right? Yeah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and I guess it's, maybe there's only like four other major prophets. Yeah, because uh, Jeremiah wrote. So out of the 16 prophets that we have in the Old Testament, only three are from the Northern Kingdom? Yeah. I don't well, know if I ever knew that. There's three from the Northern Kingdom. And then a few of them, like, you know, Ezekiel... Um, Malachi, I don't remember the Malachi. other ones, uh, are from the post-exilic period. So it's after Israel and Judah fall. But also Israel, like, I, you know, with, with those kings, I feel like they probably killed most of the prophets. Like if someone was like, I have a word from the look, that's just kind of, you know, say they didn't even make it through the, the first sentence. So yeah, that's super funny. Northern kingdom kind of sucked. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they have a lot of bad kings. Uh, his ministry took place. I, I thought it was really interesting because it, it, if you look at the book, it reckons it in the Northern Kings as well as the Southern Kings. And if you look at the Southern Kings, his ministry takes place from the reigns of Uzziah to Hezekiah. So he's actually a contemporary oh, of God. Isaiah. Um, Isaiah obviously ministers past Hezekiah, but mm -hmm. you know it lines up pretty well. And then as far as uh, the Northern Kingdom kings, it's Jeroboam the second is the the king who reigns over the north when uh, Hosea starts his ministry. Um, and speaking of when Hosea starts his ministry, it's really a period of 
of prosperity for yeah. the north. Um, it's not going to last long. So in in Jose it never does in Hosea's lifetime, it's really it's going to go south. But um, at the time, they're they're living large, as it were. Um, yep. They've got some foreign alliances going on. Everything's going everything's going great. Um, except morally and spiritually, and that's really what Which isn't that about normal when there's prosperity normally it kind of goes south no you're not wrong and morality well, in so many of the prophetic books in this time, like if you just read Isaiah, it's all about um the hypocrisy of of worshiping God mm-hmm. or I guess I should say the hypocrisy of going through the motions of worshiping God without actually actively worshiping without taking care of the widows and orphans like we're commanded to without actually um, having a contrite spirit before yeah. him. So that that that's really what Hosea is focusing on. Um, but it's pretty unique among the Old Testament canon because the heart of the book is the first few chapters that yeah. tell the story of Hosea um, and his wife, Gomer, which is a great name. Uh, I did a message years ago when I was first a youth pastor at my old church. Oh, really? It was literally, the title of the message was, Are You a Gomer? Actually, no, this was when I was interning. I, the title was, Are You a Gomer? Oh, I did a message called, uh, I Am Gomer. So, whoa. So how you about, answered my question. How, well about, done, sir. how about that? It's like we were meant to do this together. Um, but yeah, it's a parable or parable is the wrong word because it, it happened, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a illustrative story to show God's relationship with his people. Um, but there's 14 chapters in Hosea and the first three are that story. And then the rest of them are kind of the typical poetic prophesying yeah. that is, um, that's God's kind of explanation of that parable. And that, that makes, I think that makes Hosea a hard read. It's a tease. You get in reading this narrative, the story, it's like, oh, I'm totally engaged. And all of a sudden it, it's a hard shift and you're just like, what happened? Right. It's, it's, it's somewhat similar to Job, I guess you can say in that it opens yeah. up with prose, it goes into poetry, but then unlike Job, it doesn't go back into prose. It's just kind of, it, hits, it ends and, there. And unlike Job, um, the story is completely resolved before you get to the poetic section. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few poems in the story, so I don't want to make it seem like it's all prose and then it goes into poetry, but the, by far the largest grouping of poetry is after the story is told. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, I think we're just going to jump yeah, um, right into the book. Jump right into the book. And the story... Because that's what Hosea does. It yeah. jumps right in. The story, it's basically the first verse is, here's Hosea, here's when he prophesied. And then right after that, starting in verse two, it says, when the Lord, Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits Sorry a great... Sorry if you have kids listening to this right now. That's true. <laughs> uh, for the land commits a great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So, I mean, right off the bat, that's just... Wah, wah. I mean, well, it's, it's also one of those things where it's like, um, like, man, like if, if God like clearly put that in my spirit, I'd be like, are we are, like, that's not, God. are we, yeah, you'd be like instantly like, well, this is clear. That's this not the clearly Lord. isn't coming from the Lord. Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird request, man. It reminds me of the, um, I think it was Isaiah where it's a sit on your side for, was it six months or whatever was it, it was? Isaiah. Was it Jeremiah? You're talking about laying on one side, then turning and laying yeah. on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think it was Ezekiel. So now I done screwed up which prophet it was. It's my I'm bad. pretty sure it was Ezekiel. There you go. We'll say it's Ezekiel. Because I read Jeremiah thinking that was the same, but it, I think it's Ezekiel. Oh, well, there you go. So uh, but I could in, be wrong though. In verse three, uh, Hosea, with with no argument. That we like, know of. Yeah, that we're, that we're aware of. But, but to the, be fair though, back in, back in biblical times, like in ancient times, there was, I would say there's a lot more sensitivity and discernment an awareness of God's voice. So when God spoke, it was like, okay, I can't argue that. And there's been yeah. moments of times in my life where I, I clearly felt God had spoke and I was like, I can't change. I, I have to go this route. I have to do this. Um, but I just so. think it's funny that like 
you know, God commands, God commands Gideon to grab an army. And he's like, okay, hold on. We're going to need a few signs here. And then, uh, God commands Hosea to go marry, um, a not great lady. And he's like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. difference between a prophet and a judge. Fair. I don't know. Uh, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dib, Diblame, which is also a great name. And she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So it's a beautiful name. Uh, yeah, it's, right. it's a foretelling of the coming judgment. Um, also, when it says the house of Jehu, that's one of the kings of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... Uh, he was a good king. Uh, yeah. I, well, he was all right. <laughs> but for, for, for I'm the, getting him mixed up with Josiah. Just kidding. Yeah. For the northern he kingdom, was okay. he was... Like not, he wasn't completely evil, which for them is a good king. So there you go. Um, I forgot when it happens, but it's a dynastic break where it's a one family was ruling and then Jehu breaks it to another one. And there's a first Jehu and a second Jehu because the first Jehu is, I'm getting really bogged in. You don't need to know all this. Anyway. uh, Welcome to Let's Talk About the Bible. And yeah, there you go. Uh, And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the Valley of Jezreel. She conceived and bore him a daughter, which is great. And the Lord said to him, call her name, no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them all. So can you see where God's taking this judgment right now? I mean, at least Jezreel is kind of like naming your daughter, like Paris or something like it's a place. And then like like your second one is just no mercy. That's the name of your child. Um, So not, not great. Uh, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. Um, which actually, if you remember last week when we were talking about Hezekiah, that connects directly to it, that mm-hmm. God will save Judah, but it's not going to be by foreign alliances, which yeah. is what Hezekiah's big screw-up was. Uh, moving forward... Uh, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his, this is my favorite one. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people. And I am not your God, Harsh. which I, I shouldn't be laughing over that. Cause that's, that's a statement. Um, because all throughout the old Testament, the hope of relationship with God is that um, to quote him directly, I will be your God and you'll be my people. Yeah. Um, and I think I got to come out right and say, you're not my people. I'm yeah. not your God. Like that, that's, that's sobering. Like that's, that's, that's devastating. And I always think that I, I talk about all the time, but I think the most beautiful chapter of the Bible is Revelation 21. And my favorite part of that chapter is uh, God declaring that you will be my people and I will be mm-hmm. your God. It's just, it's a, it's a powerful statement. It's a powerful hope that we have. Yeah. And, and, and we shouldn't just glance by the fact that God is saying, you're not my people yeah. anymore. Um, that's a big deal. Um, yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land uh, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. All right. So that's the, that is the opening section. It just jumps right in. It's Hosea marries Gomer. Gomer sucks, and then uh, they can they conceive uh, three children and uh, Jezreel, no mercy and not my people. Yeah. So great, great names. Um, it's a great legacy. Abound, uh, but it gets worse for Hosea uh, eventually. And we don't. It's funny because we don't actually get a ton of details about what happens. Um, but Gomer leaves. Uh, she leaves her family. She leaves Hosea alone uh, with the three children, and 
for all we know, that's kind of the end of it. And then when we get to Hosea chapter three, uh, the story picks back up again after a short poetic interlude. Um, And it says, and the Lord said to me, this is Hosea talking, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Don't know why that's a big deal, but... God, not a fan of raisins at this point. Uh, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall seek Uh, shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to the goodness in in the latter days. And so I I think maybe part of the reason that Hosea isn't talked about as much is because it just, it glances really fast. Mm -hmm. Like it kind of, it's like Mark a little bit where it just like, it doesn't take the time to sit in a moment. It's just kind of. It's also, I I would also say it's, it's a really heavy book. True. I mean, most, most of the preaching and, and working through scripture, you know, hinges on where's the hope in the midst of that. And right out the gate, Hosea doesn't deal with hope. Hosea deals with judgment. Hosea deals with consequence. And I mean, even Jezreel, you know, no mercy and not my people. Like there's a, there's there's this negative like a- impact. Um, and at the end of the day, like we know, I mean, even because the entirety of scripture is one one story in, 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 throughout history. But uh, I think Hosea is, is, I mean, who wants to talk about being a prostitute who wants to talk about being, you know, uh, you know, our hearts worshiping other gods and, and identifying the issues. And, and that's where I think scripture is so challenging at times, but, um, it is, it is a, I mean, it's a sobering book, even as I'm reading, I'm like, Oh crap. Right. <laughs> I suck. <laughs> yeah. Jose is not meant to, uh, make you feel great about yourself. Yeah. Although we will see it ends. You won't it. hear any of these scriptures really at a child dedication or, or a wedding or a wedding at all. <laughs> Um, but so here's, what's important though. Hosea loves his wife, even in the midst of her unfaithful betrayal of him and in the end redeems her, even though she belongs to him. Mm -hmm. And so I I want to parse that a little bit because I think that can come across the wrong way. So first off, when I say, um, belong, I mean, in the sense of marriage, yeah. where you belong to your spouse and your spouse belongs to you. So not in like a, a hierarchical Yeah, and scripture is very clear about what that looks like too, just so you know. Right. It's not like some whimsical statement, but it's the idea that a husband and wife, like her body belongs to me, my body belongs to her. It's this, it's this mutual um, commitment and things like that. Exactly. Um, and then the second word, I, w- I want to be careful with how we parse, is the word redeemed. Um, and I, I, I think because we just, we've lost... Um, it's been so Christianized, I guess is what I mean, that we've lost the actual meaning of the word. Because um, when we say redeemed, we just kind of think like God loves me, which is true. Yeah, um, but there's so much more. Yeah, but like the, the word means um, to purchase something, mm-hmm. uh, basically to pay to pay the ransom for something and, and get it in return. And when Hosea goes... Um, and it's he, typically a great cost. Right. Too. Like the, the the redemption process is not like... Oh, I threw some money at like, no, it's a full on, I'm paying full price. It's, it's a full like redemption is what it is. It's not just mm-hmm. like, it's, it's whimsical, it's not whimsical by any way. Right. Um, and when Hosea has to pay 
um, for his wife, what he's doing is basically, and we don't know, again, we don't, we don't get a lot of details, but at some, somehow she ends up enslaved to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she's probably one of his concubines or so, something along that type of relationship. And Hosea, her husband has to go and, and pay her ransom and, and pay to redeem her and, and bring her back home. Even in the midst yeah. of her betrayal, there's no hint that she like called out to Hosea and repented for anything. But basically it's, it's just kind of saying that Hosea goes and, and he does this. Yeah. Um, and here's what I think is important about the story. And it's, it's kind of hinted when I talked about how like the, the message I talked about it was, was I am Gomer mm-hmm. is the idea. A lot of times we'll read the story and we'll think to ourselves like, um, like, well, the, the point of the story is be a Hosea. Like Hosea was great. <laughs> be more like Hosea, which is a fine thing to aspire to, but that, that's not the point of the story. Yeah. Um, the point of the story is that we are Gomer, is yeah. that the people of Israel were and Gomer. Jesus is Hosea. Yeah, exactly. And so when when God redeems us, when when Jesus dies on the cross and, and, and rises again, when all of that goes down, he's not doing it because we deserved it. He's doing it because he loved us. Yeah. Um, when Hosea goes and redeems Gomer, he's not doing it because she deserved it, but rather he's doing it because he loved Gomer. Yeah. So um, that's kind of the, it's a really quick story um, in the front end of Hosea, but I think it's incredibly powerful and something that we shouldn't forget about. Yeah. And it sets the stage for the entirety of the book. Right. Like that's, that's, it is this picture of what redemption really looks like. And I think that's, that is the beautiful side of, of Hosea is in our, you know, tendencies and our humanity, it's. Who's going to pursue us? Who's going to chase after us when we walk away, when we run away, when we pursue other things? Right. And and the beauty of Hosea is it's, well, Christ has. Christ has done that. Everything we read that Hosea has done um, is perfected in Christ and even then some. Um, so it really is a beautiful book. Yep. It's just sobering. Because yeah, I don't want to be Gomer. It's true. <laughs> but I am. Um, it makes me think I wish I would have had a better title for that message. So thanks for making me feel bad. Oh, I mean... I'm, I'm sure the message was great. <laughs> um, so, do you know me? Of course, well, I'm just kidding. So, uh, of course, it was brushes <laughs> off the shoulders. Shoot. Uh, so, moving into the rest of the book, and obviously, we're not going to be as in depth on every section because there's you know there's 14 chapters of poetry or uh, 10 chapters of poetry coming up. Um, but there's a few highlights that I thought were would be really cool to yeah. uh, bring up. So, Aaron, if you want to read um, the beginning of chapter four, which is kind of God's rebuke of Israel's behavior. Yeah. It says this in chapter four, verses one through three, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed flow follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and all the so the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yeah. And we, we talked about this in the intro, but um, the rebuke of God is this rebuke of hypocrisy, mm-hmm. of pretending to be true worshipers of, of, of Yahweh, but not actually doing any of the things that yeah. he commands. So, And that's the picture of faithfulness. I mean, when he says there is no faithfulness or steadfast love, that like it's... It's consistency. It's it's gen- authenticity and, and genuine, you know, genuine love and and interest in in what God has. It's that faithful walk with with the Lord. Because mm-hmm. Gomer wasn't faithful. That's true. Um, Hosea later on in the book, I think it's in chapter six. I didn't write it exactly down, but he details how 
Um, Israel and Judah are ultimately unrepentant in their sin, mm-hmm. um, just like Gomer is, for all we know, unrepentant of her sin um, as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think one of the things I remember when I was, you know, studying this book years and years and years ago, but it was this picture, like when, when Gomer ups and leaves, it's just, she's up, she ups and leaves. There's no like extenuating circumstances, but it's, it's first off, it's in her nature because it's who it's, you know, the, the role that she played for so long, it's habitual. Right. Um, and what was that role she was that a, she, she played? Was a whore. She played the role. A harlot. <laughs> um, but that's, that's, that's how she lived her life. That's the behavior and, and the tendency. So she had this like she, she fulfilled her, you know, wifely duty, so to speak, and, you know, birthing kids. And, and so she went off and did what she knows best. And, and so when, when we read this in, you know, chapter three, where Gomer go, or Hosea goes and redeems her, um, it, it, there, there was no remorse. There was no desire to be back from what we can understand yeah. in scripture. It's not recorded as it was. Did. Yeah. Hosea is the one who went and, and redeemed. And, and that's, I mean, it's so true of us, like, um, but there just was no remorse and there was no desire to be made for it to be made right. She just did what she did. It yeah. was just part of who she was. There you go. I guess part of the action she made. Uh, but yes, I, I wanted to end it on a positive note. And this hope. is, a th- we want to end on hope. Yeah. This is a thing that almost all the prophetic books do where it's kind of God ripping into Israel or Judah for a ton of chapters. And then it ends on a call to repentance yeah, and, right. and uh, a reminder of hope. Um, so I think we're just going to read, if I'm not mistaken, this is the entirety of chapter 14. It's only nine verses though. Um, but it goes like, oh, I totally forgot to mention this. This is, this isn't actually all that important, but that passage we read of Hosea three is the whole chapter. So it's, oh, yeah. it's one of the shortest chapters in the Bible. It's no Psalm, one, yeah, Psalm it's no, 117, it's no Psalm 117 but, on but it's pretty interesting about how short it is. Anyway, fun fact there. Um, so starting in verse one of, of the final chapter, it says this. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your inequity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all inequity. Uh, Iniquity. Iniquity, thank you. Uh, Accept what is good and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more, our God, to the works of our hands in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. I don't know much about the trees of Lebanon, but apparently they were pretty impressive. Were, yeah. I mean, the, when Song of Songs talks about the trees of Lebanon. That's true. That's and Solomon good. imports them, right? Yep. To, yeah. So and it's, I mean, they're, they're better than cedar. Apparently. Better than redwood. Israel's trees suck. Lebanon trees. Or they didn't really have any. Uh, he, his shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like that of Lebanon. They shall turn, return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Boy, God loves Lebanon right now. Uh, O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer to look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress from me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and upri- and the upright walk in them. But transgressors, transgressors stumble in them. And that's the end of the book. So there you go. It really is um, this constant reminder that even in the midst of God's wrath, um, there's always a call for repentance. Yeah. There's love. 
and I, I um, this just takes me backward. This is years ago now, but I remember um, praying with a lady and she was talking about how um, like her husband, her husband kind of just seemed like the worst, um, but he had, he had left. And so like, she was just telling me everything that was happening and the pain that it was causing the children and the fan, all this different stuff. Um, and I remember asking her like, you know, like, well, okay, well, like what, what do you want me to, to pray for right now? And honestly, if she would have asked me, like, I want you to pray that he drops dead, I might've done it. Like it was, I was kind of ready for it. Um, but she, but she said something which is just stuck in my head, uh, for years. And she said, I, I just want him to repent and come home. Hmm. And I think with our relationship with God and in, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our betrayal, in the midst of all the times that we, that we really do run away. I, I think that's almost, you could almost sum up God's attitude with that statement as well, that he yeah. just, he just wants you to repent and come home. Um, yeah. And it's a reminder of, in all the prophetic books that Israel had done some pretty crappy things. Like we talked about, um, last week in Hezekiah that his uh, Ahaz, I think was his dad, but it was like, there's child sacrifice going on. Like yeah. there's some evil things that are going on. And yet still there's this constant call, um, from God to just repent, yeah. stop doing those things and come back to me. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just an incredible picture of God's mercy. Yeah. So good. So, uh, there you have it. That's our Short discussion yeah, on the book of synopsis. Hosea. Hope snapshot you, of Hosea. Hope you enjoyed reading it uh, in the reading plan, or at least the sections of it that were this month. Um, before we jump into the Q&A, we just want to give you a quick reminder to leave a five-star review. Um, it really helps get the podcast out there to more people. The algorithm just pushes it out there more. Um, and, and really, it's just fun being able to see pockets throughout the country and even the world a little bit yeah. of, uh, of people who are picking up the podcast and, and growing this community of people reading the Bible together. I think yeah. it's really fun. Uh, okay, so question one. Here we go. How long was Paul at the various churches he wrote the letters in the Bible to? I find it interesting that he sent two letters to the church in Thessalonica, but as I read, he hardly spent any time there because he was forced out of town, but then seemingly spent a couple years in Corinth. Okay, so... That's a good question. It is like, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I did some research about how long was Paul in each section. It's incredibly hard to nail down. Yeah. <laughs> so like, well, and it Paul can was be also, done. It just depends on, on like, is it during his missionary journey he was there? Is it not during his missionary journey? Because sometimes he started something but ended up staying. Um, so it really is hard to nail down an exact time frame of how long he would be at some place. Right. But there's ideas. There's ballparks to the degree. So. Well, and there's also times where like, for instance, Paul spends, I think it's three years in Corinth, mm-hmm. um, a long time. But that doesn't mean that he didn't do anything or yeah. leave. It yeah, just it meant that he didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that's just, it. It was his home base. Exactly. So there's there's cities surrounding Corinth that he could have gone to. So um, I know it's not probably the answer you were looking for, but I don't have a breakdown of uh, um, I don't have a breakdown of exactly where. Yeah. Uh, or how long Paul was staying. Yeah, because it's hard. It, again, it's just hard to nail that down. Because there's there's moments he would go to a town just like Thessalonica, launch something, and then leave. Right. Because he'd, he'd have capable people, he'd raise up a quick capable person to run it and take over the church or whatever, and, and then he'd leave. Um, so. And and that's the point I was actually going to make, is if you read the the letters of Paul, they almost always end at the end with like, oh, and so-and-so says hi. 
And then, which is, you know, kind of a weird way of saying it, but it's like, he's listening to like six people and he's like, mm. here's who's with me. They say, hi, thanks for, you know, grace and peace with you. And he'll also Bear be like, hugs. here's who I'm sending the letter with, you know, take care of him, <clears throat> all these different things. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing to remember then is that, like you said, Paul is raising up pastors. That's a huge part of Paul's ministry that, um, that I mean, we don't really talk about as much, yeah. but Paul is a pastor of pastors. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's an apostolic leader in the sense that he, he launches something, starts something, because that's God's God. It's the God-given call that he has, and he raises up people and, his, and hands it off and sends them to take care of the church in that community. Right. Um, so he didn't really have a home base for the majority of his life once he met Christ. Um, so he had, he had longer stints and then very quick stints, it just depends. Right. Um, and then when you look at the letters of Paul, they're almost always written um, because of problems. So like I, right. like one of the, um, Paul's favorite church, it seems like, is Macedonia, mm -hmm. which there's no letter to Macedonia because apparently they're just crushing it all yeah. the time. He's like, oh, these guys are awesome. They're generous. They, they're super poor, but they just want to give to further the mission, like all these different things. And so we hear about the church at Macedonia, but there's no epistle there because um, like when you read Corinth, they figured it out. Yeah. When you, like when you Sounds read, really bad to say it that way. when you read first and second Corinthians, um, Paul is not like encouraging them. He's no. really just like, Hey, it's a lot of rebuke, cut it out. It's a lot of teaching and direction and correction. Yeah. And so with a lot of these letters, it's people coming to Paul and telling him about issues. And then Paul writing, like yeah. if I, if I'm not mistaken, first Thessalonians, it's either first or second Thessalonians, but one of the big issues that Paul comes up with is, or Paul's writing to address, I should say, is that um, people thought the return of Christ was imminent. And hmm. so they were just like quitting their jobs and just, just hanging out. Like, yeah, like very much like, you know, modern um, end times cults today, I guess. Uh, and so Paul has to write, it's like, hey, like, we don't know what yeah. this is going to look like. Um, with Corinth, it's a lot of moral issues that are going on within the church. Um, with Ro Romans is kind of unique because Paul hadn't been there. Yeah. And so he's kind of just writing and explaining like, okay, here's here's the gospel, which is why Romans is such a popular book because it's Paul's kind of like yeah. systematic, here's the gospel. <laughs> like, it's, Yeah, it literally is the, the most brilliant breakdown of the gospel that we have in all of scripture. Right. Um, and that's because that was the intention. Yeah. Whereas with the other letters, um, Paul's writing to address specific issues. So um, that might not answer fully your question, but... Uh, hopefully that that gave you a little bit. Yeah, it's it's just hard. To, I mean, it's hard to nail down exactly how long he was in every place. But what what we see from Paul's legacy and what from Paul's life, it was very much about preaching the gospel, um, and very much about raising up people to continue the ministry in that community. Right. Um, he never he was never going to be the main pastor at any church or any community he started. He was always looking to. Ra I mean, Timothy, who is his dearly beloved son, like in in Christ, so to speak, like the one that he raised up from faith. Um, his intention was to raise and release him. Right. It was never about, hey, I'm building a kingdom for me. It's like, I'm preaching the gospel and letting the Holy Spirit take over and, and build and establish the church. And you see that heart in Paul's letters mm -hmm. to Timothy and Titus, who yeah. are two of the the young men that he trained up, trained up to yeah. be pastors. And it's, it's funny because when you look at the tone of the letters to churches, most of the time Paul's kind of going like, okay, guys, get your act together. And then when you see the letters to the pastors, it's very much like, Hey, I love you guys. Let me encourage you. That sort of thing. So Second Timothy, and in particular, the gift of God that I played. I was in you by laying out of my hands. It's one of the things he says to Timothy. There you be. That's beautiful. Thanks, bro. Have a tear.
<laughs> so question two, and then our final question of the day, second uh, Kings 17 details, the removal of the people of Israel by the Assyrians. And I think the reparation of sorts of, uh, of Samaria or repatriation, sorry, of sorts of Samaria, it says that the, in the text that the people who came back were not Jews, but were taught how to worship God and didn't do it right. Am I right in thinking that these people became the much maligned Samaritans in the gospels? Incidentally, what happened to the Jews in Assyria? We know that the ones in Babylon came back, but did these Wikipedia suggests that maybe by virtue of the Babylonians subsequently conquering the Assyrians. Okay. So lot again, great question. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting too, um, because the fates of the Northern and the Southern kingdoms are, are different. Yes. So it's, um, uh, in, in some ways they're similar in that they're both conquered by foreign empires of the Near East, but uh, that's kind of where the similarities end. Mm-hmm. So Pretty much. Uh, to go over it, we actually have, I thought this was super interesting. I didn't know this. Uh, we actually have records from the Assyrian King Sargon. Of, so we have an extra biblical record of what happened to the Jews. Interesting. Um, and so basically what he's saying is that massive amounts of the Jews living in Samaria were taken away um, and then came back after the city was rebuilt. So he rebuilt Samaria. Um, but the hint that this gives us is that um, when it says Samaria, it's not referring to, because sometimes the Northern Kingdom is called Samaria. Yeah. It's not referring to every person living in the Northern Kingdom was taken away and then put back. Uh, what it's referring to is the people in the city itself. So it'd be the equivalent of saying the people of Jerusalem were taken, but not the people of Judah, um, because Samaria is kind of the capital city of the Northern Kingdom. So there you go. That's what happened there. Um, As far as when they come back, they come back pretty quickly. Um, But the difference between the, the Southern Kingdom and the, or I guess I should say the the Jews everywhere else, and then the Samaritan Jews in particular, is that the Samaritan Jews um, intermarried with the Assyrians. And yeah. that's really the big deal um, that happened. That's why they're so frowned upon. Yeah. And there's there's a racial element to that, which is, mm-hmm. which is kind of unfortunate. But um, there's also a, a religious component to that. It's not just that they married um, foreign people. It's the fact that... Um, they worshiped other gods. Yeah. And so now, and you, and you see this in the new Testament all the time. Um, it's kind of one of the big things that they go against, but now Yahweh is one of the gods, mm-hmm. not the one true God. And so um, there's a lot of hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans because the Samaritans worship God differently. And there even are, I think um, Samaritans who I would say truly do worship God, mm-hmm. but they, they do it differently as well. They, yeah. They're not going to the temple and worshiping at, the, at Jerusalem, they're worshiping in other places. So that's that group. Um, and then, yeah, like as, like we kind of said, there are pockets of people um, who worshiped God in the traditional Jewish way. So the Samaritans aren't the entire Northern Kingdom. Like if you think about it, um, Galilee is in the, is in the Northern Kingdom, mm-hmm. or you know would yeah. have been at the time. And so where Jesus is from, Nazareth, um, Capernaum, those cities around there, that, that there's clearly, um, it's not a Samaritan population. Yeah. It's a population of Jews worshiping God in a traditional way. And so it really is just kind of this one region, uh, where that happens. So there you go. <laughs> if you're, um, if you're interested in learning more about the Samaritans, the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary is actually, it's actually just a great investment. So, yeah. I mean, 
Hashtag and not maybe, a sponsor. Maybe we'll use that as a topic. Maybe we can use that as a topic next month or something like that. Yeah. It's not so, a bad idea. It's, we'll a, it's a good deal. Evan and I will pray and supplicate on that. <laughs> we'll pray. There you go. I love it. Uh, but yeah, with that being said, we're going to go ahead questions. and wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks for sending us some questions. We missed you guys the last few weeks. So shout out to Tim, huge friend of the podcast. So always asking great questions. Uh, but to Tim, wrap- who's your favorite podcast talker? How dare you? Uh, but anyway, I was going to say you, you, you're better than me with that. That's not true. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up, uh, for this episode of let's read the Bible. Uh, just a quick reminder. We are a podcast of the Grove church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove church. You can find all of our other resources and podcasts on our website at grove.church. Have a great day.